Uh, as, you, uh, as you find Revelation 4, I uh, want to just remind you, uh, we've, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Revelation, and we're coming to a new section of the book, and I just want to remind you of the summary sentence that uh, I've been using to describe sort of the heart of what's going on in Revelation. Uh, take a look at this. Jesus reveals to his churches God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption, culminating in his second coming. So they would persevere in following him through this present evil world, enduring tribulation, resisting temptation, and bearing witness before the nations until the day God judges evil and Jesus leads them to victory and eternal life with him in the new creation. In chapters 2 and 3, we saw the messages to each of the seven churches that received this book of Revelation. And in those messages, we saw that those churches were facing tribulation that they needed to endure. Uh, they were facing temptation that oftentimes they were struggling to resist, but they needed to resist. Uh, and they were all being called by Jesus to bear witness before the nations as lampstands shine into the darkness. And now, as we continue on in Revelation 4 and 5, what we're going to see is God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. Uh, beginning in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus reveal to not only the seven churches, but to our church, God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. This is the plan, the message that these seven churches needed to hear, and it's the message that we need to hear. Uh, so we've got a big section of scripture to look at today. We're going to be in chapters four and five, uh, but let's begin just by reading Revelation 4. Since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. 
And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you bow with me? Father, you are holy, holy, holy. As we come to your word now, I pray that we would stand in awe of who you are and that we would stand before you with ears ready to listen. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me now as I seek to proclaim your word and fill all of us as we seek to be hearers of your word and keepers of your word. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Make us more like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is on His throne. God is on His throne. The Creator of all things is reigning perfectly over His creation. And this God on the throne has a plan, a sovereign plan for history, a plan, as we've already said, of judgment and redemption. And if God is on the throne, and if God has a sovereign plan for history, that changes everything. It changes everything. If God has a plan, you can endure even when things get hard. Because you can trust that the God on the throne is working all things together for His glory and for your good. If God has a plan, well then you can't just live your life however you feel like it. God is working all things toward a purpose, toward a goal. If God has a plan, we have a mission. The author of history is writing his story, and he invites you and me to be a part of it. What we're going to see in these chapters is that this story that God is writing hinges on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the one who is worthy to unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment 
and redemption. And because Jesus' death and resurrection fulfills God's plan, He is worthy of our total devotion and our deepest worship. So here's the message of Revelation 4 and 5 to us today. Worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan. Worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan. This is our goal. This is where this passage wants to take us. It's where John wants to take us. It's our goal for this morning that we would worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan. But in order to get to that goal, in order to get to the goal of worshiping the Lamb who unfolds God's plan, we're going to get there in, in four stages. The first, behold the sovereign creator. Behold the sovereign creator. As we get to worship, worshiping the Lamb who unfolds God's plan, the first stage of our journey is to behold the sovereign creator. And we see this in the verses that we just read, chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11. So after Jesus gave John the seven messages for the seven churches that we saw in chapters 2 and 3, in chapter 4, Jesus invites John up to heaven. He says he's going to show John what must take place. For the rest of the book of Revelation, he's going to show John God's sovereign plan for history. And in order to do that, first, in our text, Jesus gives John a symbolic vision of a heavenly drama. What we have in Revelation 4 and 5 are a symbolic vision of a heavenly drama. And we'll see this drama, the action of this drama, unfold in chapter 5. The drama of chapter 5 is the basis for God's unfolding plan for history. And it's that plan that we're going to see unfold all throughout the book of Revelation. But before the drama begins, before the main action begins, John describes for us the setting of the drama in chapter 4. He describes the room where it happened. He describes how he saw God's heavenly throne room. And what John saw, we need to see. We need to see God on the throne of heaven. John saw God the Father seated on the throne. His appearance was majestic, gleaming like precious stones with a rainbow of glory shining around him. This God is glorious and he reigns over creation. Everything that happens in history is under the rule of the sovereign throne of God. We need to see God on the throne. We need to see that we exist to serve this God. Around the throne, John sees 24 elders on 24 thrones. And it seems that these are angels who represent the church. These elders are described in terms that often are used of human believers. The word elder uh, is a, a word used for the leaders of God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The number 24 is symbolic of the people of God. Uh, in fact, later in Revelation, we're going to see 
two sets of 12 representing the church, the 12 sons of Israel, 12 apostles. Uh, The elders are dressed in white garments like those Jesus promised to churches in the messages of chapter 3. But throughout Revelation, these elders, as they come up, seem to be a a different group than the church, a a distinct group from the church. Uh, So likely these are angels, but they represent the church, just like the seven angels that we saw in chapters 1 through 3, the representatives of the seven churches that uh, Jesus addressed all those messages, you know, and to the angel of the church in Ephesus, that sort of thing. And so these seem to be uh, representatives of the church. In, in, in any case, what we need to see here is that these who represent the church are reigning with God, but their thrones revolve around the throne. And what we see in this picture is that we exist to serve God the God on the throne. What John saw, what we need to see here is the terrifying righteousness of God. From this awesome and glorious throne came lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. This is is a terrifying throne of judgments. Throughout Revelation, John will see and hear lightning and thunder just like this three different times and each time it marks the completion of God's judgment the heart rattling rumbles the ear piercing thunder the blinding flashes of lightning convey the awesome righteousness of this holy God this is the God on the throne we need to see The Holy Spirit, John points out that he sees uh, the seven spirits of God, which we've seen in other portions of Revelation, is a symbolic reference to the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, is pictured here as present in heaven. We need to see God's sovereignty, and especially his sovereignty over evil. John sees in front of the throne what looks like a sea of glass. Now, we're going to see this sea of glass later in Revelation 15, where the saints who have conquered stand beside the sea of glass and they sing the song of Moses, the song that Israel sang after they crossed the Red Sea. So, Seeing this sea reminds us of the total sovereignty of God even over evil. Just like he was sovereign over the Red Sea, sovereign over the armies of Egypt, sovereign over Pharaoh himself. We need to see in this picture God's unapproachable holiness. We sang about it earlier and we see four living creatures here declare this holiness. These four living creatures are described by John the same way that Ezekiel describes the cherubim in Ezekiel. The cherubim were those angels that guarded humans from entering the presence of the holy God. The cherubim kept fallen, were, kept fallen humans uh, from entering the Garden of Eden after the fall into sin. 
uh, gold images of the cherubim were placed on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. Uh, the cherubim were woven into the curtains of the tabernacle and carved into the walls of the temple. These are angels who keep the unholy and defiled and unclean and unworthy out of the holy, righteous, perfect presence of God. This consuming fire. This glorious creator. And we need to see in this picture God's eternal worthiness. In this throne room, there is a never-ending service of worship. The living creatures and the elders have this ongoing back-and-forth call and response. Verse 8 tells us the four living creatures repeat the praise that Isaiah heard in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They praise God as this holy and almighty and eternal God. And then every time those living creatures praise God that way, the elders fall down before the throne. They cast their crowns down before the feet of this God, bowing to God's absolute authority. And verse 11 tells us they respond with, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. They praise God for being the creator. God is on his throne. He rules over all creation. He is holy. He is just. He is sovereign even over evil. And he is worthy of all our worship. This is the God that you need to know is on the throne. You need a clear vision of this God no matter what you face. If you are being opposed because you're trying to be faithful to Christ, you need to know that God is on His throne. If you've been compromising with the world, and giving in to temptation, falling into sin, you know God is on His throne. And if you're trying to make disciples, fulfill the mission of God, you need to know God is on His throne. So this is the setting of the drama. We haven't even gotten to the action yet. This is just the room where it happened. This glorious, sovereign God is reigning on His awesome throne of judgment. Angelic beings are praising Him as holy and mighty and eternal and as the Creator. This is the room where the action is about to start. So this first stage of our journey toward worshiping the Lamb who unfolds God's plan is to behold the sovereign creator. Second stage, long to see God's plan unfold. Long to see God's plan unfold. John has seen the setting of the drama in chapter 4. 
Now as we come to chapter 5, the action of the drama begins. Look with me at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So what is this scroll? Well, we, we have the privilege of getting to look ahead and seeing the scroll unrolled, and what we'll find is that it contains God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. His sovereign plan of judgment against evil and redemption for His people and redemption for all of creation. So we can do that because we've got the whole book, but in this moment, John actually would have known that that's what this scroll was even before he saw it unrolled, because this scroll comes from the end of Daniel. In Daniel 12, Daniel is told about God's coming judgment and redemption, but then Daniel hears this in Daniel 12, 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So this moment of waiting for this scroll to be unfolded has been, I mean, people of God have been waiting for this day that the scroll would finally be opened. John knows that scroll in the hand of the God who sits on the throne is massively important. If that scroll is unrolled, all that is wrong in the world will be made right. If that scroll is unrolled, then those who trust in Christ will receive the eternal life that Jesus purchased for us. That scroll is massively important. So what happens in verse 2 is the obvious next step. Look at verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This scroll must be unrolled. We've got to find someone to open it. Who can do it? Who can bring justice? Who can bring redemption? Well, the response comes in verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one in creation can unfold God's plan. No one in creation can bring about final justice or salvation. Politicians may try to work for world peace, but even their successes don't last. Governments try to promote justice, but no human justice system is perfect. Nonprofit organizations try to make the world a better place, but no one can redeem creation. Man made religions can turn out nice moral people, but they can't offer any hope for life after death. So the hope for true justice and final redemption is right there in the scroll, and no one is worthy 
to open it. So, John understands how tragic this is. And he says in verse 4, And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. If the scroll can't be opened, then history is just a random series of events heading in no particular direction. If the scroll can't be opened, then grave injustices will never be made right. If the scroll can't be opened, then those of us who have given up everything to follow Jesus have nothing to show for it. If the scroll can't be opened, death has the final word. Imagine how this would have hit the first readers of this book. Imagine you're the family of Antipas who was killed for following Jesus and the scroll can't be opened. Imagine you're the church in Smyrna about to be thrown into prison and the scroll can't be opened. Imagine you're in Philadelphia being ridiculed for your faith and the scroll can't be opened. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel those shadows deepen? Do you know the groaning of creation? How injustice cries for an answer? How brokenness calls for redemption. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? John did. And so when the scroll couldn't be opened, he wept loudly. Do you have that desire to see God accomplish His purposes? May we long to see God's plan unfold like John did. May we yearn with intense longing for justice. May our hearts burn to see redemption. May our heart's desire be to see God glorified and righteousness demonstrated and redemption completed at last. If we are to worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan, we first have to long to see God's plan unfold. Feel the weight and the desperation for God's purposes to finally be accomplished. Third stage, behold the Lamb who conquered. Behold the Lamb who conquered. John weeps in verse 4, but then the response to John's weeping comes in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one who is worthy. Well, who is it? Well, he gives these titles, and these are titles for the Messiah, the promised conquering king. This conqueror is called the Lion of Judah. Jacob, uh, who's also known as Israel, prophesied about his 12 sons just before he died. And in Genesis 49, uh, verses 9 and 10, Jacob made this promise, and he called Judah, his son Judah, a lion. And he, he promised that one would come from Judah who would have an eternal scepter, that a king would come from him who would rule forever. The lion of Judah. Well, this conqueror is also called the root of David. God repeated the promise that he made to Judah, to Judah's descendant, David, uh, about this king who would come from him. And in Isaiah 11.10, God referred to the king who would come from Judah and come from David as the root of Jesse, who's David's father. So the lion of Judah, the root of David. John hears good news. The king is here. The Messiah has conquered. He can unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. That's what John heard. Now look at what he saw in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This doesn't look like the lion that John heard about. It's a lamb. And not just a lamb. A lamb that has died. There, in front of the heavenly Red Sea, is the heavenly Passover lamb. There, before John was the one described in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth saw a lamb who was slain. But this lamb, this slain lamb is a conqueror. Because yes, this lamb was slain, but he is still standing. This lamb died, but behold, he is alive forevermore. Uh, This lamb also has seven horns. Horns are a symbol of power, Seven is a symbol of completion. This lamb has complete power, total power. And he also has the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, sent out into all the earth. This portrait of this lamb is a picture of the ascended Lord Jesus. Jesus came to earth and the people expected a lion, but he died as a lamb. 
and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. God raised him from the dead. He gave him all authority in heaven and on earth, and he seated him at the right hand of his throne. And from this exalted state, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples throughout all the earth. Because the Lamb is conquered, the Holy Spirit is not only present in heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in all of us who are his disciples all throughout the earth. The Holy Spirit now empowers us to conquer just like Jesus conquered. And because Jesus conquered through his death and resurrection, he alone is worthy to unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. Look at verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. Only the lion and the lamb, only the slain lamb who is still standing is worthy to take that scroll and open its seals. Jesus' death and resurrection are the hinge on which all of history turns. Because Jesus conquered, he is worthy to judge He has the keys of death and Hades, as we saw in chapter 1. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. All people are accountable to King Jesus. He will judge the living and the dead. He is worthy to judge. Because Jesus has conquered, he's also worthy to redeem. He died and took on himself the judgment his people deserve. And he rose from the dead and can now release his people from sin and death. He can look at unholy, defiled, sinful people like you and me and purify us so that we can enter past the cherubim into the very presence of God. He's the beginning of the new creation who will make all things new. He is worthy to redeem. And as we see this scroll unrolled, this is exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see the lamb judge and we're going to see the lamb redeem. We're going to see the Lamb pour wrath on those who dwell on the earth. We're going to see Him rule the kings of the earth with a rod of iron, but we're also going to see Him save His people. The saints have robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. They'll conquer because the Lamb has conquered. So behold, the Lamb who conquered through His death and resurrection Behold the Lamb who conquered and endure tribulation, knowing that Jesus will redeem us and he will bring us safely home to a redeemed creation. Behold the Lamb who conquered and resist temptation, knowing that the sin that tempts us will be met with the wrath of the Messiah, but also knowing that the one who conquered has sent His Holy Spirit to empower us to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. Behold the Lamb who conquered and bear witness before the nations, knowing that we carry the good news of the Lamb who has the power to save people from death, knowing that we have the good news of the One who is worthy to unroll the scroll. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and His mission to make disciples will ultimately succeed. If we are to worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan, we must behold the Lamb who conquered. Which leads us then to the final stage 
of our journey. Join in the worship of heaven. Join in the worship of heaven. The good news of the worthy Lamb has been announced and heaven responds to the good news of the worthy Lamb beginning in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The elders and the living creatures see the Lamb take the scroll, and they immediately fall down and worship Him. They each have a bowl of incense, which we're told is a symbol of the prayers of the saints. We see one of those prayers, we'll see it next week, and you can look at Revelation 6 and verse 10, how the saints cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. The prayers of the saints, the saints cry out for judgment and redemption, for justice, for salvation. And as these angels are worshiping the Lamb, as heaven worships the Lamb, they're doing so on behalf of the saints. They've got the prayers of the saints for judgment and redemption as they're worshiping the Lamb because the Lamb is worthy to unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. The Lamb is worthy to answer their prayers, to meet their longings. Their worship continues then in verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The search for the worthy one is over. They praise Jesus because he is able to unfold God's sovereign plan. And notice, why is he worthy? Because he died for his people. He purchased people from every tribe, every language, every nation, and he has made his people a kingdom and priests. This was a term that was once used to describe the nation of Israel. Now it describes all of Christ's people from every nation, Jew and Gentile. God's plan of judgment and redemption ultimately ends with King Jesus reigning over the whole earth, and he grants his people from every nation and tribe and tongue to reign with him. Because the Lamb purchased these people at the cross and made them citizens of his kingdom, he is worthy to unfold God's plan of judgment and redemption that ends with him reigning over this kingdom forever. And so the elders and the living creatures see this, and they sing this new song of praise to the worthy Lamb. But then, after seeing the praise of the 24 elders and the four living creatures, John sees a concentric circle around these beings in verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In addition to this inner circle of heavenly beings, the elders and the living creatures that we've seen so far, John sees the entire heavenly host praising the Lamb. They join in praising Jesus for his death on the cross. They declare that he is worthy to receive all the gifts of God, all the riches of heaven. And all that they say that he's worthy to receive are things that will ensure that this Messiah will reign as king of, king of kings for all of eternity. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. They say, you, king, are worthy of it all. And then John hears one last chorus of praise in verses 13 and 14. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's not just the inner circle praising. It's not even just all of the angels praising. It's all of creation. It's everything. It's everyone. And in this culminating declaration of praise, all creation worships Jesus just like they worship God the Father who is seated on the throne. Because this Jesus is not just the human Messiah. He is fully God. And he is worthy of worship as, as God along with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. Do you hear the crescendo of worship in these two chapters? The four living creatures worship God the Father as the holy, mighty, eternal God. The 24 elders join and worship God the Father as the glorious and sovereign creator. And then the living creatures and the elders Worship Jesus as the Lamb who died to ransom people for God. Then thousands of thousands of angels join in and worship Jesus as the King who will reign forever. And then all of creation worships the Father and the Son. God's worthiness in this chapter is unfolded more and more and more and more. God's plan is coming closer and closer and closer to being fully unfolded. Jesus' work at the cross is seen more and more for just how powerful it is. And, and as all of these reasons for worship pile on and on and on, the praise gets louder and louder and the, the worshipers multiply and increase until this crescendo finally comes to a culmination of total praise in this God for all that He is, for all that He has done. This is the God who is worthy of worship. And John paints this vivid picture of praise and worship because he wants to invite us into the worship of heaven. He wants to invite us to join this praise, to give our allegiance, to give our worship, to give everything we are to this God who sits on the throne. This is the end goal of this passage. This is the end goal of revelation. This is the end goal of God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. It's a call to worship this God. We are invited to behold the holy, mighty, eternal creator. We are invited to receive the salvation of the lamb who was slain. 
and we're invited to behold the Lamb unfold God's sovereign plan so that we would delight in this God forever, so we would behold His glory forever, and so that we would give Him worship with everything we are for all that He is and for all that He has done for all of eternity. No matter what you are facing today, hear this call to worship. As we endure tribulation, remember the end is worship. Remind yourself that all the suffering, all the opposition is part of the sovereign plan that ends in God's glory forever and ever and ever. As we face temptation, remember the end is worship. Know that nothing this world has to offer can compare to the joy of beholding this God and living for Him for all of eternity. And as we bear witness before the nations, remember the goal is worship. Go and proclaim this gospel so that more people can join in the song of the redeemed and declare worthy is the Lamb. Worship the Lamb who unfolds God's plan. Let's pray together. God, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive all glory and power and blessing. You are worthy to receive all of our allegiance, all of our attention. You're worthy of our songs. You're worthy of our prayers. You're worthy of it all. Lord, you have a sovereign plan that you have worked. You have a sovereign plan that you have executed, and you have a sovereign plan that will be unfolded and is being unfolded because Jesus died and rose again and you exalted him to your right hand. Lord, I pray that we would see that our greatest need is to know that you are God and you are worthy. That we would know that the answer to everything we face isn't in ourselves or what we do, but in who you are, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, I pray that we would give you the worship that you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.